Amen. Good evening. Good evening. That's what it is. How you guys doing? It's great to be here with you guys worshiping together in Liverpool. Missio North. Here we are. Um, we're excited to be in the midst of this, I guess you would call it church plant. And uh, we are grateful for each of you that are here tonight. Um, we're we're going to jump back into our series on John. As many of you have been either here or at Missio Downtown, you've noticed we've been um, walking through John since I was in high school and and probably will finish by the time my daughter graduates, but we are, we are plodding our way through John. And we took a break and went through the series called Questions. How many of you guys were a part of that for some time? And uh, the elders took questions from everybody and picked the, what, Jim, four or five questions um, that were either most pressing or the four or five questions they felt like preaching on, which I think is probably what... <laughs> And uh, it, was, it was a good series. So now we're back to John. And we're going to jump right back into John chapter 10. Um, something occurred to me that uh, is a little sad as I got up here. And that's that this shirt felt much larger last year when I put it on. Anybody know that feeling? Like, what happened? I don't know if it's the shirt or me. Um, and I don't know why I said that, but I'm just noticing it right now. It feels, it feels awfully small. Uh, so I'm challenging myself. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. We worship you tonight together because of who you are. Who you declare yourself to be through your word. Who you've shown yourself to be through your works. In our lives, God, thank you for changing us, for saving us. You are worthy to be worshipped tonight. We give you all the glory. And we ask that you, through your word, would speak to us. Change me tonight, God. Change us as we open your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We are in John chapter 10, and I'm going to start in verse 22 and read through verse 42. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. And you did not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones, and again, I'm sorry, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many gods, or I'm sorry, I can't read. I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for 
a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, it is, not, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. If he called them God's, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Amen. So the ultimate question in this passage is who's Jesus? He's continuing this walk, and he's continuing this interaction with um, who I think in this passage are potentially the Pharisees or the, those in Jerusalem who he's continued to interact with. And he had just gone through talking about the sheep and the good shepherd, and now he's at the Feast of Dedication, which is, which is the Feast of Dedication is basically celebrating the rededication of the Jewish temple. And he's at this place with them. And I, I honestly don't know how much time has passed between verses 21 and verse 22. Um, but what we do know is he's still talking about the same thing. He's still carrying on the same dialogue with this group of people. And they say to him, they look at him, and I love this. They say, all right, enough, enough paraphrasing. Tell us plainly. Enough figures of speech. You're talking about sheeps and shepherds, and you're, you're talking about uh, things in words that come across as figures of speech. And Jesus, stop keeping us in suspense Tell us plainly what you're saying. Tell us plainly who you are. Now, i got to be honest with you. I don't think he was hiding the ball up until this point. I think he's been pretty plain because they've wanted to kill him before. He hasn't really been hiding the ball, but, but they're asking him to speak plainly. Just say it. Is this what you're really saying? I want you to watch out for a few things as we walk through this passage. Who does Jesus say that he is? Do you know who Jesus is? Think about this as we read through this and as we walk through this passage. Because I submit to you tonight that we don't. We don't completely. We don't fully. How does who he is affect you? How does who he is and who he declares himself to be affect how he loves you? I think that's an important thing to watch out for as we walk through this. If you don't believe tonight, is there still time? What is the key to faith? What is the difference between those earlier in the passage in Jerusalem who are picking up stones? And then we see these two little verses in verse 40 through 42. When he goes to the other side where John the Baptist was doing his ministry and many come. Many come to faith. What's the key there? I think there's something for us there. So tell us plainly. 
I'm going to take this in a few steps, four or five different steps. As we look at verses 25 to 30, we see Jesus' answer to their question. They've asked this question, Jesus, stop using figures of speech, tell us plainly. And then in verses 25 through 30, we see Jesus' answer. In verses 31 through 33, we see their response to Jesus' answer, which is not just verbal, it's physical. In verses 34 through 36, we see Jesus speaking to them in a way that he doesn't really have the benefit of, of, a, of a cool, calm, theological discussion because they have stones in their hands. And he's speaking to them theologically about something that's very important, but in a way that it seems as if he's almost maneuvering to get away. And then we see in verses 37 to 39 really a final um, an, an, inv- an invitation, more of an invita- invitation to those who are there. And in 40 to 42, we see him go to the other side and many come. So Jesus' answer to the question, look at verses 25 through 30 with me. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The words, I'm sorry, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We see Jesus here saying, I told you, but you don't believe. And if you don't believe what I'm saying to you, look at my works. If you don't believe that Uh, what I'm saying about being the good shepherd, if you don't believe what I'm saying about being the Messiah, if you don't believe what I'm saying about me and my Father, then then look at the works that I've shown to you and take a look at that and see if, if the works don't lead you to me as you look at those works. And then he answers the question, why? Why don't they believe? Because they're not a part of his flock. They're not his sheep. Those who belong are those who believe. Those who belong to him are those who believe in him. And there's an implication here that they've been given the ability to believe that God has done something in their heart that has caused their heart to be new that gives them the ability to believe in God. Those who believe in me, they hear my voice and they know my voice. Those of you who have seen my works and you've heard my words, you still don't believe and you don't believe because you're not of my flock. But my sheep, they believe, they hear my voice, and they know it. And they see my works, and they know what it's all about. Those who do not believe, those who are not among his sheep, God must first give them the ability to believe. Those who do believe have been given this ability to believe, and they're part of his people, and they have a new heart. Jump back with me to John 1, 12 and 13. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's what he's talking about. How amazing is it to have the ability from God to know and to believe and to be a part of his family. How amazing is it to believe 
in such a way as we see in John chapter 1, verse 13, that this belief is not just an intellectual assent. This belief is not just an intellectual ability to acknowledge something in our brain that says, okay, I believe that, as if, as if you know, to hang a verse or a scripture up on the wall and point to it. It's so much more than that. As we see this word believe in John chapter 1 and in John chapter 10, we see this reliance. We see this ability to throw your life upon, to rely upon, to give your life for, to trust, to lean on, to absolutely throw everything you have in terms of your day-to-day living and life and marriage and kids and family and everything that you do and everything that you are, you believe with your life. That's what it means to believe. Amen? And they don't believe because they're not a part of his flock. But if you're here today and you believe in Jesus and he's ministered to your heart, he can be trusted. He can be relied upon. You can believe, not just intellectually, but you can believe with your life. Amen? And that's what he's calling to. As a part of his sheep, as a part of his flock, he's calling us to believe. Take a look with me at verse 29. I'm going to start actually back up at 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus makes a huge declaration here, doesn't he? And he makes a declaration here in the Word of God and in this moment, in this narrative, that really ticks them off, (laughs) as we see. As he's answering their question, as they're saying, okay, no more figures of speech. Tell us who you are. Jesus now tells them who he is. Unabashedly, unashamed, he declares, God has given my sheep into my hand. I want you to see this. God has given my sheep into my hand, and no one can take them out. And God not only has given my sheep into, the sheep into my hand, but you... Those who believe, those are a part, who are a part of his flock, you are in the Father's hand. And no one can snatch them out of his hand. The sheep are in Jesus' hand, and then he declares you are in the Father's hand, and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. And then he says, I and the Father are one. Can I tell you something tonight? Jesus is not hiding the ball here. He is declaring beyond any doubt that the sheep are in my hand and the sheep are in the Father's hand and they cannot be snatched out because they're one and the same. I and the Father are one. Folks, he's looking at them and he's saying, I am God, big G. I am God and he presents who he is in such a way to our greatest benefit. Does he not? He reveals who he is to them and to us today To our greatest benefit, no one can snatch us out of his hand. As I read the declaration of Jesus in this passage, I begin to filter it down into my life. Because good theology has got to be practical, right? I mean, let's face it, theology can be something we talk about and we sit around, and when I was a pastor for, for years, we sit around and we talked about it. I remember in Bible school, sitting in dorm rooms, debating till 
one in the morning about different theological issues. But can I tell you something that, you know, Jordan often quotes Packer, that good theology leads to doxology, meaning that, that what we understand about God and who he is and who he's revealed himself to be in Scripture should drive so practically down into our lives that it leads us to great worship, to worship him with our life. Can I tell you, there is nothing more practical in the world right now in this moment than this declaration Jesus makes in verse 29. This should affect your marriage. This should affect your children. This should affect your relationships at work. This should affect everything about you and me. I remember when Sophia, my daughter, my first child was born. How many of you guys remember, obviously, the birth of your first child? What a great day. I have worried every single day since that day. How many of you guys are with me? I'm a worrier. I worry about my kids. I, I worry constantly. Where, where are they? What are they doing? I ask my wife. I'm in the mall. My job plays into it a little bit. But in the, in the mall, we're walking around. I'm constantly panicked. And, of course, Nathan, my youngest loves to hide in department stores. How many of you guys have ever experienced that? So you walk into a department store, he finds the little circular thing with all the clothes hidden in it, and he's in there. And I panic. Where is he? Where's Nathan? I'm constantly looking, constantly around, around the pool. I'm a maniac. I worry. I worry about from the time they were little. I remember when Sophie was born, I would lay in bed. This was my first, obviously. So about every 20 minutes, I'd roll over into the bassinet. Is she still breathing? You know what I mean? I'm checking. Checking her. Is she still there? Is everything okay? All right? Just wait, Matt, Sarah. It's coming. <laughs> and, you know, of course, by Aiden and Nathan, we were like, no. <laughs> but <laughs> it's amazing. Her baby book is stock full. I think we have like three pictures of the other two. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> The first two months of her life were on video. Every time she moved, there was 15 people standing around her with a camera. She moved. Um, but I'm a worrier. And this passage gives me great comfort. He's God. She's in his hands. I'm in his hands. And nobody can snatch me out. It, it depicts this idea of snatching, depicts a use of force. And Jesus, in, in contrast, this prior in, in the chapter of John to the hired hand that didn't care, unlike the shepherd, the hired hand, when danger came, wasn't concerned, wasn't willing to risk his life because he was just the hired hand. But Jesus said, I'm the great shepherd. And in this moment, he's contrasting that same thing. I am God. I am God, you are in my hands, you're in my Father's hand. Nobody can snatch you out. De it depicts this idea of a use of force, but he loves you. He is for you. He is your God. You are a part of his flock. You have been made and grafted into his family, and no one can take you from his hand. In the midst of difficulty and worry, no one can take you from his hand. In the midst of the great depravity that we see every day in this world, he is God, and no one can take you from his hand. In the midst of having new children and, and starting a new family. He is God and no one can take you from his hand. In the midst of the loss of great friends or, or loved ones who are so interwoven into the fabric of our families, the idea of their loss is something we can't even conceive of. But in the midst of that kind of loss, he can never take you from his hand. No one can take you from his hand. He's in control. He is God. 
Amen? That's who he declares himself to be. What is their response to that? Can I tell you, um, they knew what he was talking about. His declaration was clear. He presents it so it makes all the difference in our life. Look at verse 31 and 33, 31 through 33. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself God. So what is their response to his answer to their question. Start with the question. Who are you? Stop paraphrasing. Speak plainly. I and the Father are one. And their response to that answer? Blasphemy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And they pick up stones. And they go to stone him. This isn't the first time in John 5, 18, we see the same thing. Where Jesus declares himself to be equal with God. And they pick up stones to stone him in John 5. And here they are again in John 10. And they've picked up stones because of his response to their question to stone him. Why did they pick up stones? Because they knew what he was saying. They knew he was saying he is God. He and the Father are one. Now now think about this for a minute because a lot of us could say that, right? I I mean, I could say that and, and have it not be blasphemy. I and the Father are one in purpose. Okay, I mean, there's a lot of ways to be one with the Father, right? I and the Father are, are one in purpose, and I think that's part of what Jesus is saying, but, but he's saying so much more, because if I were to say that, it wouldn't be blasphemy. I and the Father are one, and we are of the same heart. Could we say that? Yeah, of course, and is that what Jesus is saying? Yes, but he's saying so much more, because I could say that, and it wouldn't be blasphemy. I and the Father are one in the way we think about things. No, Jesus is saying so much more than that. He is declaring, I and the Father are one, and they knew it. And so they picked up the stones, and they said, this is blasphemy. And now we have to ask ourselves a question. Why would they react this way? Because he's declaring he's God. And guess what? They're right, aren't they? He is declaring he's God. So they pick up the stones because it's blasphemy. You're declaring you're God. And Jesus is like, yeah. They're right, but it's not blasphemy. You know why it's not blasphemy? Because he's God. (laughs) So Jesus takes a step back, and he begins in verses 34 to 36 to quote Psalm. He quotes Psalm 82.6, and he says to them, well, your law says, and and I'm going to try to unpack this as as best I can, because this is a pretty complicated little two verses that I needed to listen to a lot of people and, and research a little bit, but, but take a look at what he says here. Um, verses 34 and 36. Where'd it go? There we go. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him who the father consecrated, set apart, and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe in me. 
You know, this little passage here, Jesus seemingly takes a step back and he quotes Psalm 82 and he's talking to them about um, a moment in the Old Testament where they declare where they declare the people of Israel to be God's small g. And then he's saying, so if, if it's okay for, in your law, he, he says, you know, you can see his posture here. Mind you, they've picked up stones to kill him. And he takes a step back and he says, well, they've said in your law. And he begins to quote Psalm 82 to talk about the people of Israel as a country being God's small g, not deity. And he says, so how is it for me, the one who God has sent and set apart, consecrated the Son of God to come? How is it blaspheming for me to say I'm the Son of God? I have a quote from, uh, from D.A. Carson on this. He says, mob humors heated to the threshold of explosive violence does not provide him with the leisure for cool theological dialogue. So he administers a short, sharp shock, a scriptural reason why they should not take umbrage just because he calls himself the Son of God. So you see Jesus maneuvering here a bit, and he takes a step back, and he says something about their law and Psalms, and he says, listen, you're partially right and you're partially wrong. Am I God? Yes, but I'm not a competing God. That's what he's saying. Am I God? Yes, I'm saying I'm God. I'm consecrated. I'm set apart. I am God. But I'm the God of the universe that you already supposed, are supposed to believe in. I'm not a competing God. I am the God of Israel. And he takes a step back and he escapes. He's equal with God. He's not a competing God. And then we see verse 37 to 39. Read this with me. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe in me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe in me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but escaped from their hands. What I see in this passage, in the context of this narrative, is incredible patience from Jesus. He's had this dialogue. He has declared who he is. And he sends out one more invitation. If you don't believe, look at my works. Keep in mind, he's about to heal Lazarus coming up. He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he makes one more pitch. I don't know where everyone in this room is here tonight. But I know just from speaking with many people and even experience in my own life, that there sometimes comes moments of, of great distress where you feel like, I don't know, I feel as though I've been putting this off and maybe you don't believe or you're not sure if you believe and you've been in a place where you've been thinking about who Jesus is and what does that mean for me or what are the implications for my life and, and you've thought to yourself, maybe is it too late for me? And I want you to know that he has great patience, but he is calling you and he's declaring to you who he is tonight. And he wants you to know that he loves you and that he is God. 
And, and he invites these people in this moment, even though they're rejecting him, even though they're trying to kill him, even though they want to arrest him and stone him, he's saying, listen, if you're not hearing my words right now, just look, take a moment. And he's inviting them one last time to look at my works, look at what I've done, look at what I'm about to do. And he's thinking to himself in his great patience and in his great love and in his great compassion, he's thinking to himself, maybe if they look at my works, that the works that I, that I do and that I've done will lead them to me. And then Jesus goes across the Jordan. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Isn't it an amazing contrast as we look at this passage together, and I think it's very relevant to us today and what we're doing here, where you see Jesus, and he's in this interaction in Jerusalem, and he experienced great rejection. Did he not? I mean, they wanted to kill him. It's about as much rejection as you can get. They pick up stones to stone him. And then Jesus declares who he is, and then he goes away. And he gets away across the Jordan to the place where John the Baptist had done his ministry. And many came. Many came to know him. And you see the response of the people on the other side of the Jordan that's so much different than the response of the people in Jerusalem. You see that they, they look at Jesus and they, they remember the witness of John who they respected and who they loved. And they say, John didn't do signs like you're doing signs, but everything that John said about you is true. And many believed. What is the key? What is, what is going on there? Why were their hearts opened? I believe it's God ministering to their hearts. But I want you to see something about the witness of John the Baptist. You see, we've talked about John the Baptist throughout this series on John. And what did we recognize about John the Baptist as we've walked through John? John the Baptist, who was really a celebrity in that day. I mean, many people knew him. He was baptizing in the Jordan, and, and people were coming to him. People were flocking to him to such a degree that the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, what is going on? He's baptizing Jewish people. Like, the only time people baptized before that was when they were baptizing Gentiles into Judaism to say, okay, now you're a part of Judaism. But here's John the Baptist. He's baptizing Jews, and he's even saying Herod needs to be baptized, and he's throwing out accusations. And so the, the teachers of the law come to John the Baptist. And when they approach John the Baptist, what does he do? I'm not the guy. You're looking for another. I want you to take a look at John chapter 3, verse 28 and 30, and I want to leave us with this. John chapter 3, verses 28 to 30. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. What do we see? We see the witness of John the Baptist that says, don't look at me, I'm pointing to another. I'm not the guy, but the Christ is coming. And John, the great witness, 
who in that moment as they looked at him and they said, who are you? Are you the Messiah? No, I'm not the Messiah. Are you the prophet? I'm not the prophet. I'm not the guy. Don't look at me. I have to decrease so that he may increase. And John the Baptist lived this extraordinary life as he pointed to another, as he bore witness to Jesus. And then you see Jesus' declaration across the Jordan, and the followers of John say, man, John didn't do signs, but everything he said about you, it's coming to pass, and many believe. I see this every day in my work. As a... As a lawyer, I, I'm a prosecutor, so I spend a lot of time in the courtroom, and my job is to prove cases. There's nothing better when you're trying to prove a case than when you have corroboration. When someone gets up and says, I bear witness to that. You know everything that person said? That's what I saw too. Makes all the difference in the world. And God, in his great wisdom, as he has come into your life, as he's come into my life, and as he has declared that we are his sheep, we are his family, he's made us a part of his flock, and no one can take us from his hands. He's called us to bear witness to who he is and to what he's done in your life. He's called us in this place right here, Missio North, as we are meeting in Liverpool, New York. He's called each one of us who has had something happen in your life, who has had the God of the universe, Jesus, who's declared himself as God, come and impact your life and save you and rescue you and make you a part of his family and make you a part of his flock to such a degree that no one can take you from his hand. He's called you to bear witness to that of which you've seen. And if you've seen the grace of God here in your life personally, then God's asked you to point to him and to bear witness to him so that many can believe. He has chosen in his great wisdom to do his work through his people. And folks, he's called us to be right here. And, and it's not for you to, as Mike said earlier, manufacture something that's phony or that's fake. But if God has saved you, then you're the witness to that. If you don't tell your story, there's no one else sucking oxygen on planet Earth that can tell it because you know it. And because God's done it in your life. And God did it in John the Baptist's life. Why? As, God, as John the Baptist teaches us, to bear witness to him. To point to him. Because he deserves the glory. Amen? So where John the Baptist's ministry was, those who had heard the words of John saw the works of Jesus and said, yes, that's what he said would happen. And many came to believe. What are the people in your life and in your world going to say about Jesus? He's God, and you're a witness to it. You've seen it. I say it all the time. I get someone on the witness stand. What did you see? What did you observe? What happened? Where was it? What time was it? When did it happen? What did it look like? And can I tell you that's who we are? We are a witness, as John the great witness, John the Baptist was. I want you to ask yourself tonight, in your life, Jesus, who declared himself in John 10 to be one with the Father, who has you in his hand, if you're a part of his flock and no one can snatch you from his hand, think to yourself, what happened? When did that happen? How did it happen? What has Jesus done in your life? 
What has he done that has made all the difference in the world? Because you're a witness to it. And have you borne witness to those in your world and in your life, wherever you may be, so that many, so that many, so that many will believe? That is the cry of our hearts here at Missio North. Why would you plant a church down the street from the downtown church you just planted? Gospel accessibility. This is our world. This is where I live. This is where I go to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or Kubal, if he put one out here, please. <laughs> Coffee accessibility. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. <laughs> People, we have four couples, five couples that live in these apartments right here. Right here. I can see it right now through the glass. They live right here. They are witnesses to what God has declared and done in their life to those people that they live around. The people I'm standing on the sideline with at the 15 different lacrosse games and practices and stuff I have to go to of my kids, they're the people who I need to bear witness to what Jesus has done in my life to. The people at work at the DA's office for me, where do you work? Where do you live? Where are you? What have you seen? What have you seen? What happened in your life? What did Jesus do? Who is he? And who he is, what does that mean for you? who he declares himself to be. What does that mean about how he loves you and who you are as a part of his flock and his family? And have you borne witness to that in your lives? Amen? As they say, when the horse is dead, dismount, right? I'm going to dismount. <laughs> Let us pray. God, we thank you for who you are. You declared it so clearly in this passage. You are God. You and the Father are one, not just in purpose. You're actually one. Metaphysically, you are one. You are God. And I am so grateful tonight that I'm in your hands that my family is in your hands, that the people in this room that know you and that believe, not just intellectually, but with their lives, they're in your hands, and nobody can take them out. I have witnessed what you do in my life, and I would ask that you would give me the grace and the strength and the ability to articulate it and to bear witness to you, to point to you, that I would decrease, and that you would increase. That's our prayer, God. In this place, that we would decrease, and that you would increase. We're not planning this church to make a name for ourselves so that everybody sees the name Missio. God, we are planting this church so they see you, God, for who you are, so that they see your love, so that they know your grace, so that they know you are the good shepherd who can save them and care for them. In the midst of this lost world, God, I ask that you would help us be your mouthpiece. Help us be your witnesses 
so that many would come to know you, who you really are, the God of the universe who loves us and who has rescued us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.